Blog Talk Radio. joining us. I'm Marcia Joyner, host of Betrayed by Hospice, brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit and our producer, Marty Oakley. If you are listening this evening, you may have experienced the loss of a loved one at the hands of unscrupulous hospital, hospice or medical staff, or you may just be searching for information so it doesn't happen to you or a loved one. In any case, we are here to speak the truth and shed light on the reality of trusting without verifying. The information provided tonight may just save your life one day. Knowledge is power. Many have already learned from a horrible experience that hospice changed the rules from providing minimal pain relief to someone who is actively dying to using a one-size-fits-all method to rid the world of people they deem hopeless or not worthy of treatment. They feel it's costing too much money to treat these people, so they eliminate them right in front of us. And so many of us are naive as to what is happening. I know I was when it happened to my mom in 2017 under the fake guise of compassionate hospice care. Nothing could have been further from the truth. It is cheaper for them to give a toxic cocktail to our loved ones and hasten their death with drugs, starvation, and dehydration, and just say it was their time to die, sweetie, as if they care or if they have a golden book with people's beginning and end dates written. Some call it assisted suicide. Some call it euthanasia. Let's call it what it is, premeditated murder. And to be clear, I'm not saying hospice has no place in society, because they do, for the actively dying and to minimize pain, not to hasten death. And if that is what was happening, there would be no need for us to warn people. On my last program on January the 26th, we talked about what qualifies someone to be enrolled into hospice, and that included almost anything that could actually be treated with medications and procedures. We also heard the heartbreaking story from Lisa Blake about her mom, who she lost on Christmas Day in 2020. I shared with you the shocking information in the palliative performance scale that estimated the median survival days for patients who were at 60% and under for ambulation, reduced activity, or disease progression. That chart indicated ranges from 29 to one-day survival rate if under, hosp- under palliative care and 11 to one day if they're under hospice care. How terrifying those numbers are for people who are not actively dying when they unknowingly enroll into hospice. So it's imperative you research ahead of time to determine if you need hospice 
and at what point. Several documents that I've been looking at indicate to enroll sooner for comprehensive care. No, thank you. Many people do not need their services, and just because it's offered does not mean it is the right decision or the right time for you. And I admit, every time I start doing research, I go down a deep rabbit hole and I keep finding more and more information. Because when my mom was going through this, I had no idea what was going on, and I didn't research then because I didn't know that I needed to. In spite of the fact that my dad had been the hospice chaplain, I thought my mom was safe because he had never, knew nothing about them doing the cruelty that they did to mom. So after that, I witnessed this, and that was my initiation into one of the biggest betrayals of humanity under false pretenses. Since then, I've learned a lot of information. I want to share that information with That is my goal, to share it with you before it happens to you so that you can save your loved one and that you have information, the facts, and not propaganda that hospice feeds. Earlier this week, I received a call from someone on the West Coast who fought to protect his grandmother over a year ago, but he didn't have any legal authority, and she had passed with hospice assistance, of course. He now has power of attorney for one of his uncles who recently was hospitalized, and he called to ask me and to say that out of the blue, hospice showed up at the rehab facility. His uncle is not dying. They have showed up, and they want to pressure his uncle into enrolling. He wanted to know how they knew. He didn't have any idea that that was our topic for tonight's program, So even though I answered him, I believe he is tuning in with us now because we will discuss other things. We're going to answer that question as well as other questions. And if you have a question or comment, if you select one on your telephone, it will put you in a queue to speak later. So how does hospice come into our world and take over? And who better qualified to give us that information than someone who witnessed firsthand from the other side of the fence. Over two years ago, during my research, I met a wonderful and compassionate warrior who helped me understand more about hospice than just their toxic cocktail. Michelle Young-Dewers is a former hospice respiratory therapist who chose patients over the bottom line that hospice administrators were interested in. I am honored to call her my friend. Michelle is also a certified respiratory therapy technician with the National Board of Respiratory Care and has a BS in health science. She served as a clinic instructor at college for two years and received an award for dedication to patient excellence at a hospital. She served five years on the ethics board of four major hospitals in the Tampa Bay area, and then she accepted a position at a hospice and was there for seven years as a respiratory therapist. Michelle exposes the truth in a rare behind-the-scenes book that she wrote titled Killing for Profit, The Dark Side of Hospice. What an appropriate title for that book. Mistakes made, promises not kept, the wrong people making medical decisions, and the unwillingness of staff to take an extra step to help ease someone's passing are just some of the things that are in her book. 
Her book exposes that profit is the end game and not meeting the needs of a dying patient. Tonight, her focus is on hospice enrollment, questions to ask, things to look for, and warning flags. You may want to have a pen and paper handy. We probably won't have time to go into some of the stories in her book, which are extraordinary, but I encourage you to check her book out because it is excellent and it shows much insight and real-life stories with names changed, of course. Her book is available in digital and paper format at Amazon. On a personal note, she not only has a heart for her patients, but she loves animals, and she has adopted many that would otherwise not have homes. So with no further ado, let's get started. Michelle, I want to thank you for your patience of listening to me. And thank you for coming on to give us your vast knowledge and to help educate people so that they don't go through what many of us have gone through. So I want to start out by asking you, how does hospice, how does this work with enrollment, and how do they just magically show up at a hospital? So that we can answer that question and then we can move forward. Hi, Marcia, and thank you for having me on as your guest. Um, In the hospital, when patients come into a facility, they are assigned a case manager. And the case manager's job is to manage the beds within their given area as far as who's in that bed, what kind of insurance they have, what kind of reimbursement the hospital is getting either from Medicare or private insurance, what equipment is being used by the patient. Are they an expensive care patient? Are they using a lot of resources, whether it's equipment, whether it's uh, manpower, so to speak, are they a high-maintenance type patient? Are they a frequent flyer? Do they come into the hospital, you know, more than what they consider to be normal? That's the case manager's job. And in doing that position, the case manager will pinpoint patients that are just ripe for the picking for hospice. So once the case manager pinpoints that patient, they will go to that patient's physician and ask the physician for a hospice referral then the case which they will they will get and then the case manager will touch base with the hospice liaison and there's always a hospice liaison in some of the bigger hospitals like let's just take Tampa General for instance since that was part of last week's show uh Tampa General will have one two perhaps even three hospice liaisons from the same hospice facility or organization. And they're constantly, because that hospital is so big, they're constantly there, you know, roaming the hallways, meeting with the case managers, meeting with other physicians to find out what patients are um, that they've already pinpointed. So now that referral will be made to that liaison, and the liaison will go to the chart, 
and get all the same information that the case manager has either given them or they'll get a little bit more information about what the patient's finances are, what's a, what it, are their living arrangements, are they married, how old they are, what's their diagnosis. So they can get a whole picture of what this patient is going to be like as a hospice patient and or what that patient may or may not need. And why I say may need, because that's one way that they will worm their way in. And I'll come back to that in just a moment. Okay. So now the um, the hospital liaison will go in and give a, a an informal like touch base with the patient or the family, and this is where well where I'm going to go on to it is that they will pinpoint if they if they know they live alone. They'll offer them a lot of services to where they feel like they're being taken care of. If they're low on finances and they can't afford things, they'll kind of use that way to get into the um, to get their services enlisted. Um, did you have a question so far? Well, I was going to ask one thing. When you talked about earlier, they may have like three different hospice liaisons. They don't, it's not equal opportunity. So it's, you know, because that's a very large hospital, you said. So they don't have two or three different hospices. So they are actually playing to one hospice per se. Oh, now when I was talking about the, like, temperature, I'm just using this as an example. Right, right. Right, and, and this is an exact. Okay, so other 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 hospitals would have you know maybe one or two liaisons, but aren't there multiple hospices in a hospital area, perhaps? And you don't have to go with that one hospice. There are multiple hospices, as we heard from um, Lisa and Becky the previous week, right? Right. And say okay. for Tampa General, for the longest time, they only had the choice of one hospice. You either okay. chose that one hospice or you did, you did not have hospice. Now okay. there's a second player hospice in the area. Um, and you actually have to have a, a – you just can't have a hospice. You have to be granted by the state or some other level to open a hospice. You follow me? Yes. It's not like a small private business you can just open up. and So um, so in addition to that one particular hospice may have two of their nurses that are dedicated just to that facility to retrieve as many patients as they can. And then now you add on a second hospice with their nurse liaison in the building, now you have that competitive nature going on between the hospices because those nurses, nurse liaisons have quotas to meet to show that they're doing their job in getting patients to enroll in for service. Do you follow me? I do, and I want to make sure that our listeners heard that. They have quotas 
they are supposed to get so many patients, hospice patients, enrolled. Mm-hmm. That's at the hospice Correct. facility. So for people that say, you know, oh, well, it's not about money, yes, it is. There's quotas. It's all about money. It it's is. It's all about money. So if, go, go if ahead. You, if they weren't making a profit, they would not be there. No, they don't do so it out is, of the kindness of their heart. Right, and there is no difference between, you know, people say, well, if I go to a nonprofit hospice, then, you know, that's better. It doesn't matter if it's for-profit or not-for-profit. They are in it. It is a business, and you or your loved one are the commodity. Correct. And they're offering you services to get you to enroll, and they will as Michelle just said, they will offer you whatever they think is going to get you to say, yes, I want that. Yes. Correct. And if it's a shower, you know, it will give you showers, and that's important to you. That's what they're going to mm-hmm. give you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. Um, and, and unfortunately, they also use the – there's a tactic they use that the hospital manager, the hospice liaison, and the hospice admission nurse, they kind of tag team the patient and the family. So one, one morning the case manager may come in and say, okay, the, the doctor, your doctor has referred hospice to come in and see you. So the, the representative is going to come in and explain hospice services to you. So now the hospice liaison person, who usually is a nurse, will come in and explain the benefits of hospice. And the benefits of hospice, at that point, the hospital case manager and the hospice liaison will take liberties in overstating what they will provide and how often the services will be rendered. Because neither one of those two people will be on the hook for anything they say. And I say on the hook because they're not going to have you sign any paperwork. It's going to be that third person that comes in, which is the hospice admission nurse. Do you follow me so far? Mm-hmm. Right, right. So you have two people coming in, painting a rosy picture, and then now that you're sold on hospice, you have the admission nurse who will plead no idea what was said to you prior to her entering the room, which may or may, which may often be very true because she wasn't there to hear what was said between the hospital case manager and the hospice liaison person. So now you have the, the admission nurse come in and will state certain, you know, uh, pretty true to facts But by this time, you've already heard everything you needed to hear to accept hospice services. Mm -hmm. 
Do you follow? So I do. now when the hot... Go ahead. Uh, well, I do, but the other thing is that when people are talking to you, and you and I have talked about this in the past, you're not writing notes down. You're just hearing what they say. And when they say the word that you wanted to hear, you kind of are blocking out. You can't remember everything that they've told you. So they've already got you thinking this is going to be cotton candy. And when somebody else comes in, you're not thinking to re-ask those questions or you're not thinking that person didn't say this. You've already been given the smoke and mirrors, and you have accepted that that is what they're going to do because they said that. So there is another question in your mind. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, and then if you try to go back once you're into service, and say, I was promised this or I was promised that, well, who promised you that? I don't know the nurse at the hospital. Well, which nurse? Well, I don't know. I saw so many. Do you see how that can get very confusing? Because not only is the patient and the family bombarded with all this information, but they're also in a weak emotional state because of what is happening to their loved one and the diagnosis of what they've been given and Uh just the mere fact of someone referring them to hospice is a blow to many family members because a hospice referral is almost being thought of as a death sentence, if you will. Well, it is. Do you see... Because you're thinking, in reality, it may not be. That's right. Because you're thinking that if the, the word hospice comes up, I have six months or left to live. That is immediately yes. the thought you're going to think. And that could be mm-hmm. absolutely wrong if you don't enroll in hospice. Mm-hmm. If you enroll mm-hmm. in hospice, more than likely, as per this chart that I that they post on their website, I didn't make the chart up, that they post on their website, then, yes, that's more than likely going to mean that you have less than six months to live if you take them at their word and you enroll. Correct. Correct. And they also use the the patient, what's, what's important to the patient. So when they're talking to the patient, you don't want to be a burden to your family, do you? You've had a good life. You want to live with, you know, you want to die with dignity. We can help you. Mm-hmm. And then when they're talking to the family outside of the patient, this is what we can do for you. We'll have these services. We'll send a nurse in once or twice a week. We'll send an aide to your house three, four times a week to give you, a, you know, the patient a bath and give you some rest. And we're always there 24-7. You can always call us and we'll send somebody out to your home. Well, the reality is when you call on the weekend or on that on after hours, once you're placed on hold to even speak to some someone, it could be hours before someone comes to your home. There are so many questions that you need answers to before you sign on that dotted line to accept hospice as your service provider and that's one of the things that 
Marcia and I have come up with. And, and Marcia, if you'd like to go into that a little bit. Okay. Um, well, the the document that what Michelle and I have been talking about is whether or not you even need hospice. And so what you need to determine is if they've come in and you have congestive heart failure or you have COPD um, or you have a kidney disease, there are things that you can have that can be treated with medication. So the first thing you and your family need to do is if you're being treated for that and you're okay and you know, you're still doing your normal activity, daily life, or maybe you're not, maybe you've slowed down, but you're still living, you need to decide whether or not you need these services. And as Michelle, you know, will get into, just because hospice comes in, they're not going to be there 24-7 unless you're on continuous care. And in that case, you know, you really, you know that you need somebody to take care of you 24-7. The family still is going to be there around that person. At this point, Michelle and I are talking about in-your-home hospice. So there are still things that you're going to need to do. So determine if you need hospice at that time. Will your doctor, do you need a wheelchair? Will your doctor write um, a prescription for you to get a wheelchair? Do you need oxygen? Will your medical doctor write a prescription for you to get oxygen? I mean, these are things you need to find out before because if he will, you may not need hospice. Remember, hospice is for someone who is actively dying, and they are going to, and we'll talk in a a future segment about the drugs, but if your person is not actively dying, if you're going to be there with them, and if they need oxygen, they need a wheelchair, or maybe they don't even need that. They're being treated with medication. That doesn't mean you need hospice. They want you because you are the commodity. Mm-hmm. So the questionnaire yep. um, that Michelle had come up with are questions to ask before you even consider talking to them and and those are things that you know that only you can determine. And the next is when you, as Michelle was saying, when you're in the hospital and you're talking to all these people, you don't remember who said what. So um, Michelle has documented a chart, you know, a form of questions to ask them, and a place for you to write down what they say to you, because I know in my mom's case and in, you know, hundreds of other people's cases, you may be asking questions or you may not even think to ask them because you're so distraught that the word hospice has been brought up, but you're not going to be writing anything down. If you have papers in front of you, you have the questions, you're asking them, you're documenting, can I get your name, your nurse who? Okay, and you're writing this down, and who, who would be my doctor, and can I still keep my regular doctor? Questions that you're asking are putting that hospice on notice that I'm not going to fall for whatever you say. I am educated. I am watching you. This is not going to happen to my loved one. So if you are in a position where you absolutely determine that you do need hospice services, you make sure that they know that you're watching. And with you writing down, asking these questions and writing it down, you're putting them on notice. I'm paying attention. I'm not ignorant. I'm not naive, and I am watching. I am going to protect my loved one. 
that is being on the offense instead of the defense. So Mm -hmm. I I don't Mm -hmm. know if you wanted to go into some of the questions now or if you want to, you know, keep going through the progression, or did you want to go into some of the questions, Michelle? Um, I I think we can go uh, on into the questions. The the one thing I would like to um, state again, and I know you – you, Marcia, may say this every show, but it cannot be stated enough, is that one, the family needs to prepare for end of life. It's going to happen whether we want it to or not. You, so you might as well prepare for it. And being prepared is, is going to be better off for the family and the patient overall than you know, sticking our head in the sand thinking it's not going to happen to us. Well, it is going to happen to you, so you might as well prepare for it. The other thing is, prior to 2019, when I worked with hospice, there was already a calling of sort for elderly, disabled the, the, the minorities of society that the hospital system or the healthcare system, I should say, does not want to deal with or treat. And that was one of the endpoints for me that forced me to leave hospice. And now, with COVID and post-COVID and all the hysteria over this, um, it's only worse. Those New York hospitals, for instance, or nursing homes that called in hospice, they had a plan, and they executed their plan. That has not stopped. There's going to be and there is a continued effort to depopulate a majority of specifically the elderly and the disabled. And listen, I'm no spring chicken. I'm getting in up in age myself. So it's not like I'm talking about some other group um, I'm almost, I'm just about in that group. So I have my eyes wide open, which I would hope everyone else would have their eyes wide open and know that you're not safe from this complete calling. Let's look at, I'm going to get off track. For just a minute, Marcia, if you could just... Go ahead. No, absolutely. Go ahead. You're making good points, and this is why you're on here. If you look at the Social Security system and the Medicare system, the Medicaid system, Medicare system, Social Security is nearly bankrupt. There's less people putting into the system and there's more people withdrawing benefits from that system. And over the years, 
they've stuck their hands, the politicians have stuck their hands into the Social Security pot fund for their own little pet projects. So now we have, you know, there's a, a reason that they need to depopulate some of the elderly is to get rid of a majority of Social Security recipients to kind of balance that out so they're, you know, they don't get this complete bash, backlash from the American people. That I'm not making that up. That's not conspiracy theory. That's just fact um, that the, the system is nearly bankrupt um, and they, they have to do something. Uh, there's a strain on our healthcare system as far as resources, medication, equipment, that once you become, and Marcia's mentioned this before, about being a frequent flyer, going back into that emergency room, having those multiple admissions, that is a bad mark on the hospital and it's a bad mark on your physician and that hospitalist, they don't want that. They want nice, clean, because their reimbursement is based on how well their scores are. And insurance companies keep, and Medicare keep score on these hospitals. If they view a patient as a frequent flyer, the hospital's not treating you properly or your doctor's not managing you properly. So then they're docked. So how do they get? A, so how's the hospital and the hosp, uh, hospitalist and the doctor going to get around that? You're put you on hospice. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're well, expendable. And and that brings this in. I was I wish I had these figures because I was thinking about this as you were saying that dialysis. I don't know how much it costs every time a person has dialysis. I know Marty used to have a a lady who came on that did a show on that. So if you consider that somebody goes in for dialysis two times a week, what's that cost Um, times the month? If you have someone who um, has congestive heart failure, they have breathing issues, and they go into the hospital because, you know, they're having a hard time breathing or they have COPD or they break a bone because they fall, uh, whether they have dementia or whether they have osteoporosis or whether they, you know, I broke my foot playing football several years ago on Christmas. I had to go into the urgent care. So if you're back and forth into that, if you think about the amount of money that that cost over the period of each person who this is happening to, and then consider this year, the hospice cap, it's an aggregate cap, that, that amount is $31,297.61. That is the total. So now if you, the $31,000 will go very, very rapidly if you're in and out of the hospital. If you've ever looked at a hospital stay, how much you're being charged for x-rays, for the doctor, for the emergency service, for the hospital room, for the gown, Etc. So yes, you are saving money because I've had people ask me, you know, why would they kill somebody? They're making money off of them. There is a cap on that. So if you've gone over that, you are into somebody else's pot of money. 
Mm-hmm. So, and if you're a problematic mm-hmm. person, you complain, you're difficult to deal with, you wet your bed constantly, they have to keep coming in there, the ner- you know, you're irritable, which you have every right to be, and they have your own antipsychotics, which is going to, you know, create more issues, then you become one of the problematic people and you're going to be one of them that's not going to survive. Your median age is not going to be as long as it is for somebody else. Mm-hmm. These are facts, and, and as Michelle mm-hmm. says, I'm going to steal your phrase there, eyes wide open, because if you aren't paying attention, you are their next victim. And I wish that what we were saying was not true. And I, I, I know that there are, hospice, there are good hospice nurses out there because you're mm-hmm. talking to one, a former one, who is talking to us, but the majority, they just do what they're told to do, just like um, William Hustle in uh, Frisco, Texas, he, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, at Bradley Harris in Frisco, Texas, he told the nurses this is what he wanted to do them, them to do, and they just did it. They didn't think about it. They just did it. Mm-hmm. It's just a job to them. You're not people. You're not human, and you don't matter. But you matter to us, and we mm-hmm. matter to each other, and that is why we are desperately trying to get the word out to people who don't know. They're naive like we were when we lost our loved ones. So mm-hmm. it's important mm-hmm. that you are aware. And you can't mm-hmm. believe everything you're told. Knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and for the people that are listening, Unfortunately, I, I think the majority of the people that are listening are those that have already been through hospice and are looking for answers. I, I wish there was a way we could all work together to bring a light to those that may not know the dangers of hospice. And I do believe there are good hospices out there, and you, there are hospices that will treat you the way you should be treated. I think they're in the minority. There was um, someone I spoke to recently, and um, and if she chooses to come on and share her story or talk about, that will be on her, you know, for her to choose. But something was done to one of her family members in a facility, which was a mistake, and it was after that hospital's mistake that something happened to her loved one with hospice. That's another way the hospital will bury their mistakes through hospice. You know, that sounds so conspiracy, like I should be sitting here wearing a tinfoil hat. But let me tell you, no one is paying me to sit here and talk right now to you. I could be out in my garage painting furniture, which I love to do, but I'm not. I'm, I'm sharing something that's really been hard in my life to deal with those and the aftermath of, of that. And it's only that we, as a community, bring awareness to what the evils of others will do for greed of money. And that's where it really lies, is the greed of money. It, it absolutely is, and it is about the bottom line. 
So what you had just said, um, for those who don't know, and it's in your book, so I'm not I'm not telling anything out of turn here because it's in your book. Um, Michelle was working for hospice, and she eventually came to them and brought to light some of the things that were going on that she did not approve of. She was not she was a whistleblower. She didn't stay quiet. That's why I call her a warrior. And she got fired. Now, she didn't get fired for that. They came up with some other bogus something and fired her. She would not back down from what she was saying, and they did not want her to continue to be there because she was a danger because she would not follow and just keep her mouth shut. She Mm -hmm. she just told them, I cannot, I will not. And she lost her job. That's how important it was to her. So mm-hmm. whistleblowers mm-hmm. do lose their job. You know, I mean, she still has her title, but mm-hmm. she lost. She took a loss mm-hmm. because it was important to her to save people's lives. Everybody will not make that decision. So mm-hmm. she paints in her garage. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Just saying, but um, and you know she wrote a book about it. She's willing to share that information and to let people know. And it explains in the book, you know, the different stories about some of the things that she witnessed, which are horrific. I mean, I could probably tell you her book because I've read it and it just I was so engrossed in it. But at the end, she explains to you you know, what she did, what she said, what management said to her. And, I mean, she lays it out. This is what happened. And the thing is, when she came to them and and told them about something that had happened that cost someone their life, they didn't care that the person had lost their life. They cared that in the report that she wrote, she put the person's name, and therefore the family might find out and the family might come after after them they didn't care that the person died but because she put the person's name in there then somebody might see that in the records that's a liability Mm -hmm. she was a liability so Mm -hmm. i i I gotta say Mm -hmm. you know and i've said this before she's a warrior but she puts her money where her mouth is she doesn't talk the talk she walks it and that's why I'm so grateful that she comes on to share her infinite knowledge with us and speaks the truth and sheds light. It's important. And for those who are listening, if you know all of what I'm saying, please tell somebody else. And what, what Michelle is, mm-hmm. more importantly, what Michelle is saying, please tell other people that don't know. Don't be quiet about it. Don't hide the truth because their life may be dependent on some of this information, and that's what's important. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I want to go over the DNR. Um, one of the questions that I've heard people say is, they would not let their loved one enter into hospice and, you know, of course, the promise in showers and during this COVID stuff, they're promising, well, you, you can't see your loved one unless you sign them up for hospice because that's the only way you're going to be able to get into the room to see them, as we heard in the case with Lisa mm-hmm. last week. You don't have to sign a DNR to en- enroll in hospice. Is that a correct statement? That, that is correct, and you don't need one of those 
post forms filled out. I mean, it is still your choice. When you sign up for hospice, they are your employees. You're paying them through your Medicare and your insurance money. You're paying them for a service. And let me say, I get, when you just started down that road, Marcia, the pit in my stomach just grew. If anyone in hospice or any other place told me, well, we, you can see your mom if you sign up for hospice. Before they even finished that sentence, I would be on the phone to the state attorney's, attorney general's office. I would be on the phone to Medicare. I'd be on, the, on my private insurance company, and I would be hiring my attorney. There is no one that is going to escort, see, now I'm getting upset. I can't even say the word. I know, extortion. (laughs) That's the word you're looking for. It is the word I'm looking for. Yes. Because that is what it is. If you're telling me I can see my loved one if I sign up for hospice, what does hospice, whether I'm in their service or not, have anything to do with whether I can they see those? That, to me, is like the carrot and stick type, you know, system of trying to get people to get in line and do what they want you to do and bribe you and no, force no, you. no, no, no. I mean, that's yeah. a, they're trying to force you, and as you say, it's extortion. So you do not have to sign a DNR. And if you sign a DNR, if you don't sign it, what they're going to say to you is this, because we've heard this so much, Michelle. If, you, if they go out and we, we have to bring them back, we're going to break their ribs. They're frail. We're going to break their ribs. And that's more than likely poppycock. And even if you did, they're alive. But the point is if they have a UTI, they don't have to treat it. Maybe they just pass out because they haven't had any fluids. Well, we're not going to bring them back. We're not going to do it. What that means is we will not treat them for anything. It doesn't just mean that we'll put a paddle on them or we'll pump their chest. Do not resuscitate does not just mean that. And and that's Mm -hmm. the thing that they make people feel like, well, if, the, that that's the only thing. Do not resuscitate means that I'm going to pound on your chest and break your ribs. That is not what it means. That is one of the things that it could mean. But basically, it is giving up your right to any treatment, food, water, UTI medication, anything. They will use that as an excuse. And they have been known, as in, I believe it is Miss Millie, that uh, she wanted to live. This is a story in Michelle's book. She wanted to live. She was very, very clear about that. And they wound up going to hospice. They tried to call. She had a respiratory-type infection. She needed antibiotics, an RV, uh, RV, an IV. And she called hospice, and she said, her son said, we're going to take her to the emergency. Oh, you can't do that. 
well, we just want to take her there so she can get some IV fluids and get some antibiotics in it. Well, you can't do that. You have to bring her here. They were convinced they had to bring her there. They took her there, and they said, okay, we need you to set up the IV. We don't have a doctor's order for that. We can't do that. Well, but that's what we were told. I don't know who told you that, but we can't do that. So in the meantime, them trying to get a doctor's order, the son trying to get his mother to the hospital who wanted to live, who was not dying, actively dying, she died. She never made it to the hospital. They, she did not have a DNR. The doctor signed a DNR for her after she died at their negligence. So they can sign a DNR. They can say that they told me they wanted to sign it, but they just, you know, they weren't awake enough or they didn't want me to. I signed it for them, but they told me to do it. They gave me direction to sign it. Or they can Mm -hmm. sign their name, you know, scribble it and say that was their signature. Those are lies. That's criminal. But that is what is happening. The same thing with the post form. They can sign that. And, And Marty has talked about this often. If you sign that post form, when you are in the hospital, that doctor makes all the decisions for you. If, and, and I'm just going to say this, I'm not going to get into it deep, but if you are, I hate that term, anti-vaxxer, but if you don't want a vaccine and you're in the hospital and you have signed a pulse and they determine that you should, they can go in there and give you any shot, any vaccine, any process, anything they want to do. You just gave up your rights to make any decisions for yourself. Do not mm-hmm. sign a post. They will try to force you to do it. It's a, um, an orange or a pink or a red form. It's a bright form. They will try to coerce you into signing it or just hand it to you and tell you to sign it. Please don't sign things that you don't read or that you, you don't have somebody read for you. If you don't have your glasses or you can't comprehend it at the moment, it, have an advocate with you. Have an advocate with you who loves you and who will do what you say you want done and not try to get rid of you so it should be someone who wants to keep you around and mm-hmm. and I'll just quickly say halovoice.org has a sample life affirming medical proxy they call it a lamp that will assist you and you can take that it's a free thing right off of their website and fill it out for yourself I, I did one for my dad my husband and myself fill it out and do not let them talk you into a DNR or a pulsed form. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I get very animated and agitated as well, Michelle. That's why we get along so well. <laughs> I know. The thing so. that um, my two cents worth on the DNR, I think there are times when a DNR is appropriate. Um, like the 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 young man that was dying, you and I have spoken about him where the mom did not want to be left alone. Right, right. And he was actively dying. At that point, when you have a terminal diagnosis and you are at the end of your life and you have or you're slowly transitioning into the actively dying stage, a DNR, I think, is appropriate. Um, well, I think you would you know keep... that, right? I mean, 
I think, and, and it's just like with hospice, if you want to, there, there is a reason for hospice. It is for the actively dying. It is to minimize pain. The problem is now that too many people go into it for other reasons. If you yeah. know, I mean, you have fourth stage cancer, you know that you're dying, you're in pain, that's not just going to happen overnight. You are going to know that, this, that you're getting towards your end and that there is no life you know, if they brought you back, that there is no just, there is no life. I, right. and I don't talk about this often because I get emotional about it, but I'll just briefly say my dad died in October. I knew he was dying days before he died. I sat with him. I saw it. I witnessed it. It was absolutely horrible. He did not have a DNR. He had a medical power of attorney that I'm talking about, the LAMP, and I was his advocate. When I kept him at home. I did not use hospice. I knew he was dying. He was at the, I knew that. I didn't use hospice because of my mother being murdered. When we called 911 and the police got here, the first thing they asked is, does he have a DNR? And I got the forms that you know, I have. I handed it to I said, I have his proxy, and this is what, you know, we're, no, you're not going to bring back. He was gone. I mean, he... I won't go into detail, but my dad was gone. They could not, there was no way to bring him back, and there was no reason. To, he was 90, almost 94 years old, and there was no reason to bring him back. The quality of his life, his body gave out, and I knew that. I did not have a DNR, but they did not, when EMS got here, they did not beat on my dad's chest. They did not try to bring him back. They, you know, it, it was done. So, right, right. Even if you don't have a DNR signed and you have medical power of attorney, the proxy, you can make that determination at that time. I'm just saying if you have a a DNR signed that is just sitting in your folder, it makes it too easy for someone to take you down. Yes. That's that's what I'm saying. And if we look at how hospice started, hospice was in the very beginning, the helping at the end of life with the dying process. But now hospice has expanded their their scope of services to incorporate patients at a, an earlier time so they capture those patients with the help of the hospital because the hospital does not want a death on their record. That's a mark against them. Now, it's not to say no deaths are going to happen in a hospital and any death is not acceptable in a hospital. That's not what I'm saying. But if they can keep their death rate low in a hospital, because a hospital traditionally is not a place, you know, to die, That's where you go for treatment. Correct. Right? So for them to have death, an an increased number of deaths on their record, that's a bad thing. So in order to keep their death record rate low, they, you know, scoot those patients that would die on there on the hospital's watch over to hospice and hospice the way they keep their funding and keep their numbers up 
and their numbers being how many patients die in their service. I mean, that's what they are made of. They're proud of their numbers being so large in a community that, oh, look, we had these many people die in our service. It's like a badge of honor. And it's like we called it right because we, the doctor, brought this person in here and we said they were dying and they had less than six months to live and they died in two months. They died in 40 days. They died in three days. We called it right. So if you have someone who comes in and um, exceeds the six months, which my mom did, um, and then, you know, they're recertified, which she was, and then they're recertified again, and she was. She was breaking their record. She was making them look bad because she had lived more than six months. She lived more than eight months. Mm-hmm. She lived, mm-hmm. you know, almost ten months. And they didn't want that because then that means that they enrolled her too soon. Mm-hmm. Now, I have no doubt that they would have done her in sooner except that we – she had a good doctor. I mean, that's just a long story. I won't go into that. Um but yes, and the one and the patients that they can bring in earlier, the benefit it is that it is to hospice is that they are low maintenance patients. They don't require very many medications. They don't mm-hmm. require, you know, a lot of nursing visits or aid visits or equipment, things like that. So right, so they're making that. You know, I don't know what the reimbursement is now these days, but you know they're uh, making that. It's like two, I think it's $200. I think it's like two hundred dollars the day that they come in there that they get that or, or something. I, I I should pull those figures out. And then that but, daily rate. So you know, even if they're making a hundred and eighty dollars a day per day for each patient they have in service and say they have 1,200 patients in their service and 30% of them or even 40% of them are brought in early to where, well, you really don't need much. You don't need any equipment. You don't need very many medications. You you still bathe yourself, so you don't want the aide to come in. The nurse will come in and see you every once and sometimes Mm -hmm. every two weeks. That is easy money. Yeah, they're just, that's gravy. Well, I can tell you that with my mom's, that because I got all the you know Medicare documents after they murdered her, and it ran around thirty eight hundred to four thousand a month. And mm-hmm. a nurse came one time a week, and she would be there maybe an hour, maybe mm-hmm. less. And they had um, a CNA, um, an assistant that would, which was not a nurse, but it was an assistant that would come and sit with her, and you know help her up from the chair to go to the to the bedside toilet, which one of them let her slip and drop and broke her tailbone, which was not good. But So they would come there, but the thing is they would sit behind my mom at the dining room table often, and they would play on their phone and be back. She couldn't even see them, and they weren't really doing anything. And they would come and sit for, you know, two to three hours, two times a week, and do nothing. And they changed. They might look at her 
you know, wound on her leg or something, but they really weren't doing anything for the services they had said they would do because we paid a lady to come in and give them a bath because I don't really, they, according to my dad, we, we lived in different states, and according to my dad, the people they sent were not physically able, you know, they were elderly or physically were not able to give my mom a bath and, so they didn't do that. We paid a lady to come in mm-hmm. twice a week to give my mom a bath. So mm-hmm. they really were getting $4,000 for pretty much nothing. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to say um, at this point, because I'm, I'm looking at your charts here that we were talking about. So I want to say if hospice, if you accepted hospice into your home because they said they'll give a bath, I mean, maybe some of them do. My moms did not. But and they'll do some light housekeeping. They may change your bed linens. They could, you know, bring you a meal every now and then. Um, you, you know, they would bring you the oxygen or a wheelchair if you needed it, sitter services if you needed, you know, to run out and pick something up. So say that you are doing in-home hospice care. They come in. You, They come in and they help you. If they are really a help to you, these services that they say they're going to do, they're really then that's wonderful. That's great. Mm-hmm. They come in, they do mm-hmm. that. But you keep that medication, and they will bring the medication pack with them. You put it in your refrigerator. But you're not going to give those medications to your loved ones. And that's the thing. We'll talk another time about drugs. But that's the thing that if you want to use their services and you really need their services and they are going to do what they said they're going to do and you're going to enforce they do it, then they come in and maybe they are offering you help, but you do not let them give your loved one antipsychotics and pain medication, the morphine, the Ativan, the fentanyl, to render your person in a coma. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, like you know, someone who has severe dementia, it's going to be difficult to keep them at home. My dad had dementia, and it was difficult. So unless you can be physically there with them, then they would have to put them in a nursing home. And if they're in a nursing home, you are going to have more problems because you're not there to manage and make sure that they're not given drugs. So they have different levels of hospice care. Can you talk mm-hmm. to about that, Michelle? I, 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 yes. Um if I could just defer just for one second. Absolutely. If I think the the best advice I could give to a family member or a patient when presented with would you like hospice is to stop and think what do you really need? In far, as far as what kind of help do you need? It seems like when patient, family members are presented in the hospital with hospice from the nurse liaison or the case manager, it's as if the whole world has just changed that you can't get along without hospice now. You didn't need hospice yesterday, and now that someone suggests hospice to you, 
you all of a sudden need hospice, but you didn't need them yesterday still. I mean, at that point, it's, it's not only what hospice may or may not be able to offer to you, but if this is your loved one in a hospital or a nursing home or assisted living and they want to provide hospice care, ask them, why do you think we need hospice care? And then privately, as a family or patient, make out a list of things that you genuinely need. If you just need medication, your primary care physician can give you medication, like he does for everybody else that he sees in his office. Mm -hmm. If you just need a wheelchair, you can buy a wheelchair. You don't need a prescription for a wheelchair. However, if your doctor orders a wheelchair, Medicare may reimburse you for it. He can order, uh, your physician can order other DME equipment, like bedside commode, which I think you can buy that. I mean, at any DME, right. you don't need a prescription for that. Or a cane. There are certain or things, a shower or, transfer. Or oxygen. Sorry. Well, right. oxygen is... Well, oxygen is considered a, a, a medication, so you do need a prescription for Right, but I'm still oxy- saying that your doctor, I'm just saying that your doctor can prescribe oxygen for you, if that's what you, that, my mom had oxygen yes. before she had hospice. Yes. Because yes. her doctor prescribed yes. it, and she had her oxygen tank. Yes. You and don't need hospice you in a, for that, so you're right. No. And are you in a position that you can hire a private duty nurse or is your, will your insurance, some insurance companies will um, reimburse or pay for a visiting nurse type to come to your home once a week or an aide to come out? Or you have siblings and you have family members, or you have somebody from the church that loves you and will come to your home, or you have a neighbor that, you know, many of my neighbors offered to come sit with my dad. I didn't take mm-hmm. him up on it, but many of them offered to come sit with him um, in his state with, you know, with a dementia. It, he didn't know them, and that just wouldn't be a good idea. But mm-hmm. there are other things, that, and not everybody has dementia, but there are other things, as you're saying, that you can do you really need hospice. And and as mm-hmm. you said, you're still going to have to do a lot of the 24-hour stuff. They're, they're only going to come in for a short period of time. So really, when their services sound like it's cotton candy, but in reality – Really, what are they offering me? Mm-hmm. Unless mm-hmm. you, your person, is, you know, is in stage cancer, is in a great deal of pain, and they do need pain medicine to minimize the pain, and your doctor could still prescribe that. Mm-hmm. And even after, even if, and if you do decide to go with hospice, you can. At any time, if you're not happy with their services, you can just rescind services, just discontinue. Basically, you fire them. Right. Uh, just like in the hospital. You're, if your loved one is in the hospital and they're threatening you that you can't see your loved one unless you do this 
will, just after I call the attorney general of my state, I would then have my mom or family member loaded up in my vehicle, signed out AMA, and, you know, until we put a stop to this treatment and go along to get along, this will continue. So, unfortunately, I think we're we're speaking to the choir, but I hope that the choir will go forth and start singing this tune to, you know, other people that may not have experienced hospice. Mm-hmm. And, they don't know. You know, right, 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 mm-hmm. right, right. Now, I'm sorry, Marsha, I'm... I, I'm this I know, you, that's you okay, me. you went off the track. As long, do you remember my question? No, ma'am. No, okay. I, I was asking you the different, because we've talked mostly about in-home hospice, so I was asking for the other different levels of hospice care. Oh, now some hospices uh, have hospice houses, which are kind of like a... Um, nursing home, but they're specific to just having hospice patients, and they're owned by the hospice organization. Those are usually for uh, use for giving the care to a patient while a family member is given a little bit of rest and go in there for a couple of days or at end of life, respite care. Yeah, that one's respite. Or they could be uh, have a where my mom's was where they murdered her was in a um, a hosp it was in the hospital it was a wing of the hospital and they had mm-hmm. a hospice wing mm-hmm. where they did their dirty deeds um, or continuous home care which is twenty four seven and I don't know that I've ever heard of anybody that had that I, I would I, I don't even know under what circumstances you would have that. I will tell you that sometimes is probably the better part of hospice, as as bad as that sounds. Continuous care given in the home when it is end of life, the patient is trans, transitioned into the actively dying stage, there's a nurse there, an LPN or, or an RN to administer medication to keep the patient comfortable and allow them to to go through their stages of passing. Okay. So with that, and, you know, that's continuous, then mm-hmm. why is it that the young man who you wrote about in your book, that mm-hmm. the nurse was supposed to stay and mm-hmm. she didn't? And, no. and she she specifically said that she did not want to be there alone with her son when he passed. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. five minutes after you left, the nurse who said she would stay with the mother mm-hmm. left. And he died mm-hmm. that night with his mm-hmm. mom alone and her not knowing. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you from witnessing mm-hmm. it myself, you know, with my mom being murdered and with my dad not being murdered, they are equally as horrible mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. know that's probably something at some point that you know we should discuss because people don't have any clue and it's it's a morbid discussion but as michelle said we're all going to die at some point 
And mm-hmm. if you don't know what to expect, what is coming, it is terrifying. And even if you do mm-hmm. know, it is. Mm-hmm. But at least the panic is less. I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't panic. I was terrified. But I didn't panic uh, because I had read so much. And I, uh, over the course of losing my mom the way I did, I educated myself at a necessity to protect my dad and anybody else in my family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, um, the nurse that came out to that patient's home would have been a, uh, a team nurse. And I expected her, when she told me she was going to stay, that she would have stayed until a continuous care nurse could arrive. There are team nurses that see patients throughout the day. And then there's after-hour nurses that will, like it, like it, it's named, they see patients after hours during the week and on the weekends. And then there's a team of continuous care nurses that that's their job is to do that in care, end of life. Uh, staying with the patient and the family members. Now, I'm not saying every hospice is set up that way, that they have their different nurses, you know, set in different roles, but Mm -hmm. those are the general, the three generalized roles. And sometimes even the after-hour nurses and the continuous care nurses have the same role, though those nurses do both roles. Do you follow me? Yes, yes. Right, and if you're in, they're in a situation where you call hot, like the the one situation with the lady who um, had gotten an infection, and her son had called. If you want to go to the hospital, you go to the hospital, and what mm-hmm. they will tell you, because they told us this, that oh no, you you can't go to the once you're in hospice, you can't go to the hospital, you you can't mm-hmm. go there. Well, yes, you can, and they will say, well, then you're not in hospice any longer. Okay. Okay. But I'm that's, not gonna that's let, exactly right. I'm not going to let my loved one die because I don't take them to the hospital because right now I believe, you know, they broke a leg or all of a sudden there's, you know, there's a reason why he called and said, I'm taking my, she had gotten an infection. He wanted to take her to the hospital. And remember, this is a lady who wanted to live. She did not want to die. So take your person to the hospital. Of course, going to the hospital right now is I have no intention of going myself. But if you had to go to the hospital and you chose to do so, hospice cannot stop you from going to the hospital. And if they say, well, you're going to be canceled, then cancel me. You can re-sign up for it if you Mm -hmm. so choose to do. Or you can Mm -hmm. just say that I revoke hospice and then do it in writing. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if they're in a nursing home and you have hospice A and hospice B is in that area and can come to the nursing home and you decide, okay, I don't like what hospice A is doing, they're giving them drugs and I haven't authorized it or they're not giving them baths or whatever it is, I want hospice B to come in, then you go talk to hospice B first and get it set up with them before you hire, before you fire hospice a and let hospice B be involved so that they are the ones that work with hospice A, letting them know that you no longer have responsibility for this patient. We got it. 
But you do have rights, and people don't think they they have a right. And it's like you said earlier, when hospice comes in and starts talking to you about it, I think people don't think that they have a choice. I think they think it's like your doctor saying, well, you need to take this antibiotic for your bronchitis. So now they're saying, well, here's this is what the doctor's recommending that, you know, well, we're going to recommend hospice here or hospice comes in. Then you think, okay, well, that's the next step. That doesn't have to be your next step. Mm-hmm. You know, as as you said, Michelle, sit down, talk about it. What do we actually need, and do we need hospice? Are they going to offer something that we are not doing now or that we can't do in the future by tweaking this or asking the doctor this or getting a wheelchair? Or Right. right. Hospice does not need to be as involved with as many people as they are. There are other alternatives. Right. They're just trying to capture... They're like throwing the broadest net out to capture as many people as possible. And you always have the choice to dismiss or change your mind or you can sign up with them again if you want. And I think at times they make the patient and the family members feel trapped that they're doing something wrong if they don't enroll in hospice and or if you have hospice and you want to leave hospice that you know you're doing something wrong that you're not looking out for your loved ones right you know that right. they make you're not you feel guilty yeah right. exactly exactly and again and, go ahead as much as i hate and that's a very strong word what happened and what I witnessed in hospice and how the patients were treated, I still believe that there is a need for that service when it's done properly and at the appropriate time. So I don't want to paint such a broad stroke to say that every hospice is this way, but I will say in today's environment with healthcare, it is the majority of hospices, and you have to arm yourself and know the questions, what to ask, what to look for, and stand strong. When you know something's not feeling right, if your gut is talking to you, you need to listen. Mm -hmm. You know, we have three centers in our body that give us signals of our environment and of other people. It's our brain, our logic. It's our heart with our feeling. And mm-hmm. it is our gut. It's that third level of what we feel in the environment and what's going on, our gut feeling. And when those three align, you're good. But if one of them, for some reason, is a little bit off, you need to step back and pay attention. And- Right, and you have the right to question anything, and you have the right at any point in time to say, stop, we're not doing yep. it this way. This, Like you said earlier, it, we are their employer. They work for us now. They are providing a service mm-hmm. to us. They are getting paid for it through Medicare that our loved ones paid in all their life 
to when they got older that they would have it mm-hmm. there. That's not a free mm-hmm. service. You paid for that all your mm-hmm. life. You paid for that. So you're not getting a freebie. You're not getting a handout. You you put in for that. Um, I'm going to – I know it's – we've got ten minutes, but um, I want to open it up for anybody who is sitting out there who has a question. If you select one on your telephone, you will be put in a queue. Marty will bring you right in, and you can ask your question. So I wanted to give that opportunity to anybody. And it's kind of weird if you do it. If you do it, it'll sound like a doorbell to you and me, Michelle. It's just really kind of cool. So I wish somebody would actually hit one, even if you just hit one and say I'm listening, so that we can hear the doorbell. Um, I would like to give my um, email address out if someone – no, I – Please don't ask me to give any medical opinion or medical advice. That is not something I can or will do. I still have a license, a medical license I have to protect, so please don't do that. But if someone um, has any general questions or um, would like to just comment, comment on Marsha's page, Um, Betrayed by Hospice, which is on Facebook. Murdered Um, by Hospice. Sorry, Murdered by Hospice. Betrayed by Hospice is the show you're listening to now. Right. Murdered by Hospice. Um, And there is a lot of information on Marty's page, which um, Marcia can give you that, um, the PPJ website. And then my email address is the breathing girl at gmail dot com. The breathing girl at gmail dot com. Good, good. And, um mine, if they don't have it, is Marsha um M A R S H A Joiner. J O I, not a Y, J O I N E R 2018 at gmail.com. Um, also on Marty's page, the blogtalkradio.com, there is comments that you can put at the bottom of each show. You can put a comment in there, and then we can see it and you know, reply to you. Or if, you know, if there's anything that we talked about that you had questions about or, you know, wanted. And the documentation, the form that um, we were talking about earlier that Michelle put together is questions to ask before you consider hospice. And you may decide afterwards, you know, once you sit and talk about it as a family, that you don't want to or that you don't need to. But if you do decide that you are, if you take these questions with you, ask them and let them know that I'm marking things down. And you could even ask them to initial off on it. You know, you said you would do this, 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 and this. And when you have their name and somebody else comes and says, well, we don't do that, who told you that? Well, now you know who told you that. Mm -hmm. So it's good information to have with you. And that form, um, you could either ask Michelle for that or myself or on Marty's blog talk radio. Um, you could do that. 
and ask for that, that documentation so that you have it. Is there a way for, uh, for you to post that on your Murdered by Hospice um, Facebook page so that they could download it from there? Or Of course, and we could put it in the would they tab. Have to be a well, they would have to be a member, but it's very, mm-hmm. very easy to become a member as long as you're not um, <laughs> a hospice nurse and come on there and disparage people and upset people who have already gone through losing their loved one, which, is, you know, we have members on there, and it's a very, very supportive group of the members who have lost loved ones to hospice. And many times we have hospice nurses, excluding yourself, Michelle, um, but we've had some hospice nurses that come on that laugh about our loved ones dying, that they say that didn't happen, that we are sensationalizing, um, that we don't know what we're talking about, that morphine um, was good for you, it helps you breathe. And in some cases, morphine is a good thing, but it is Mm -hmm. not in the quantity and along with the Ativan, fentanyl, Seroquel, Haldol, along with the other drugs, and to be given so rapidly, you know, when the individual's already in a coma, you don't need to give them more unless you're trying to kill them. And those people that come in there and are rude and disrespectful, um, our comments are removed and they will be blocked. Um, mm-hmm. It's our group, and we, don't, we do not permit people to attack people who have already been through hell. And that's just not acceptable to us. These are people that lost loved ones so cruelly, and Mm -hmm. they are still, you know, their hearts are still broken, and we're protecting those hearts. Yeah. There is one other thing um, I'd like to say is that um, Marty's website, what is that, um, PPJ? Gazette. Because that is there a what's the website address? Marty, are you listening? Well, well, Marty, if if you're listening, tell them PPJ's yes. website. Okay, what okay, is PPJ's it's, website? It's ppjg.me, and you can go right straight to it, or just punch in the PPJ Gazette into your search. It'll bring us right up. Okay, and she has a lot of information on there. Yeah, uh, and uh, um, Michelle, if you write any articles or have anything you want out, send it to me. I'll I'll post for you. Oh, I I appreciate that. I, I, I thank you, Marty. I was just going to say that um, Marty has a lot of information on her website, and she does host other shows. Um, one is about uh, guardianship, and uh, Tanya talks is doing yes. a great episode on uh, this young lady that was murdered. Um, and we bring this information. Marty, has, you, her time and pays for the airtime for us to be able to bring all this information to people. So if there is a, a donation box, on her website, if you could just drop in a dollar or two, that would be that would that would be great. That helps us to continue to mm-hmm. spread the word. 
there is a donate button and anything would be appreciated. It's in the right hand sidebar and uh, you just have to click it. It'll take you right to PayPal. But I would appreciate anything, but we're going to keep doing whether you do or not. So there you go. <laughs> right. And it's not, right. they're not paid positions. None of them are. Right. And we don't, no. we don't have advertisements yeah. on here mm-hmm. um, like some of the radio programs do because they are paid by their sponsors. And right. We don't have sponsors. We just want to get Marty, the word out to everybody. Yeah. And Marty does not censor what we say. Marty doesn't no. tell. Nobody's told me what I can or cannot say when I'm on the show, whether it's Marsha or Marty or anyone. So, it, you know, it's yeah. another way of keeping our freedom of speech alive yes. when we and it go any money you donate goes to keeping this station alive and again nobody has a paid position we're all volunteers here so yep that, that helps yeah and um and that is well, the one thing that people that have dedicated themselves to this and there is no pay in it um no it you know this is a real service you know, so appreciate what you've got because these people are putting everything they got in it. Okay. Well, and, and it's not Marty, Marty doesn't start with Marty. Marty doesn't dictate, you know, who comes on or you know what they what they say or what I say or how I do the program. She just gives me the opportunity and gives me the slot, the time slot, and sets everything up ahead of time, and, you know, I send her a promo, and she makes it all pretty and puts it out there and, you know, puts it on her website, and, you know, I call in, and we rock and roll. There you go. And you do a good job of it, too. It's a labor of love from all of us Mm -hmm. to our listeners because we genuinely care, and we want to protect Mm -hmm. everybody. We don't want you Mm -hmm. to lose a loved one like we did. And we don't want guardianship. We don't want people being taken control mm-hmm. of and, you know, having their resources ripped away. So um, we're out of time. And, Michelle, thank you so much for coming. It was an excellent program and a lot of information. And we may have to have you back again because there's so much more. Thank you. So, thank you, Marcia. Right. Thank you, Marty. Okay. Good night, everybody, and we'll see you in two weeks. Take care. Bye.